0: The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
1: And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us on a day that is certainly not lacking for news in the world of sports and primarily the world of of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Evan Ingram officially gets the franchise tag. Calvin Ridley is officially a Jacksonville Jaguar. Free agency is a week from today. Hello, NFL offseason. You got here very, very quickly. Other things going on in the NFL. Derek Carr is a New Orleans Saint. Geno Smith is a $100 million man in Seattle. And the Titans apparently... Are shopping Derek Henry. Yeah, that's what we got for you on a Monday night. Coming up in about 20 minutes, Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark. We'll chat it up with Dave Campo about the Combine, free agency, and the Jaguars. Also coming up at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, Shane Howell. Draftcountdown.com as we'll talk Anthony Richardson. We'll talk Combine. And he has a brand new seven-round mock draft out at Draft Countdown. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now.
0: Time now for the
2: big deal of the night. What's the big deal?
1: What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker
2: After Dark.
1: So there are two big deals tonight when it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's begin with what we already know because we already saw it. And that was Evan Ingram and his career year here in Jacksonville. He set the Jaguars single-season marks for receptions by a tight end and for receiving yardage by a tight end. And, in fact, he was very, very good. He did a lot of this last year, as Frank Franci will tell you with this radio call.
3: Broncos rushing five. Lawrence
2: Strike first in London.
1: Or Steve Levy on ESPN. Either way, you want to suffice it. That was a touchdown in London. Evan Ingram, four touchdowns on the year. And the Jaguars signed a guy for a one-year, $9 million deal that has now been franchised by the team. So let's think about this for a second. I remember last year, it was opening day last year as a matter of fact, all the news about Christian Kirk all the news about Brandon Sheriff, all the news about Foyer Oluokun. And at the end of the night, it was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night, it came across that the Jaguars signed Evan Ingram. And I got texts from my buddies saying, why? Why are you going to bring in Evan Ingram? He was a bust in New York. He couldn't stay healthy. He had drop problems. And look, I am never one to shy away from the fact that, that I have been wrong a lot. In 20-plus years on radio, I have been wrong a ton. I am never going to be the guy that says, I'm right about this, right about that. I've never been wrong. Those are for you folks on Twitter that are never wrong. I have been wrong a ton. But when I'm right, I will at least point it out to you. I was right about Evan Ingram. Denmark, you were here for every show I did from April to now for 11 months. Was I not singing the praises of that signing in April, May, June, July, all the way up to the year? I was fired up about Evan Ingram. Yep, you're right. And look, again, I'm wrong a ton. But I saw Evan Ingram from Ole Miss to New York. He goes to a market that obviously he didn't mesh with. He comes somewhat home, right, to the southeastern part of the country. Some guys just can't handle the bright lights of New York City. I think Evan Ingram was one of those guys. He comes back to a market in Jacksonville where not near the spotlight is on him, not near the pressure is on him of being a first-round pick, and he flourished. And he flourished in an offense that was led by Doug Peterson, and we know what Doug Peterson did with Zach Ertz in Philadelphia. We know what Doug Peterson did with Dallas Goddard in Philadelphia. So Evan Ingram today, unfortunately, it's not a long-term deal. That would have made it even better. Not a long-term deal, but the franchise tag will go on Evan Ingram. It has gone on Evan Ingram. The Jaguars now have, I believe, to July 15th to negotiate a long-term deal. If a long-term deal cannot be met by July 15th, then he will play on the franchise tag, assuming he signs it, which will be one year and a little over $11 million. What does all that mean to you, the Jaguar fans? It's simple. Evan Ingram will be a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2023, which is fantastic news for you and fantastic news for Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Speaking of Trevor Lawrence, it's a good day to be Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to assume. There's not many days that are bad days to be Trevor Lawrence, but today was an exceptionally good one because not only did he find out that Evan Ingram is going to be back on his offensive huddle next year, Calvin Ridley gets reinstated by the National Football League, and let's hope that Calvin Ridley brings a little of this to the city of Jacksonville.
3: Growing it deep.
1: Fox Sports on the call. That was before the suspension. Calvin Ridley has been out of the National Football League since October of 2021. There was a gambling issue that he was accused of, and I guess it was proven to be correct that he did it. I think it was a parlay. And you can't do that, obviously, if you're a current player in the National Football League. So he paid a big price, man. Guys have done a lot more and gotten a lot less. Calvin Ridley was suspended from the NFL for what is that? Let me do my wolfson math here. 17 months. 17 months. He missed the last 11 games or I guess yeah, the last 11 games of 2021 and he missed the entire season of 2022.
3: Did he did he win his bet though?
1: That's a good point. I don't know. I think one of the the Jaguars were actually on that parlay. Imagine that. Yeah, that was kind of the ironic part now that he is a current Jacksonville Jaguar. But it's apparent to me that the NFL knows they were probably a little harsh on Calvin Ridley. Because normally when you apply for reinstatement, they drag their feet. They did not drag their feet here. He applied for reinstatement less than three weeks ago. When have you ever seen the National Football League grant reinstatement from a year-long suspension less than three weeks after you apply for it. I was stunned. I assumed that, you know, mid to late April, early to mid-May, that Calvin Ridley would get reinstated well before training camp. But the fact that he only applied for it, I believe, on February the 16th, and he got reinstated on March 6th. I like it. I like it. So, what have we said for the last six weeks? Imagine a scenario where Trevor Lawrence comes to the line of scrimmage, is in the shotgun with a three-wide receiver set. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, Travis Etienne in the backfield, and Evan Ingram at tight end. Are you kidding me, man? That is an embarrassment of riches. Those are five guys, five guys, the three receivers have all had 80 catch seasons. The tight end just had his best year in the NFL. And ETN has only played one year and had 1,400 yards from scrimmage. And, oh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence is getting them the football. It's very appealing, man. That is very, very appealing. Now, it's a franchise tag for Ingram. What does that mean about the future for Jawan Taylor? Probably doesn't look good there. I never thought they were going to use the franchise tag on Taylor, but my hope was they would get a long-term deal with Ingram. That way they could give all their attention to Taylor. They want Taylor back. Rumors come out in the combine and the media and the uh, agents and whatnot that are there that Jawan Taylor could be getting upwards of 17 to $18 million per season. He is a wanted commodity on the NFL free agent market. And it might be a little too expensive for the Jaguars to keep Jawan Taylor. We will certainly have to see about that. But, you know, the football gods had just been awful to the Jaguars and you fans for basically the last 15 years. They gave you a little reprieve in 2017 But by and large, you fans of the Jacksonville Jaguars, you had gotten the business for 15 years. Awful season after awful season after awful season. Bad free agent after bad free agent after bad free agent. And wasted top 10 pick after wasted top 10 pick after, you guessed it, wasted top 10 pick. But all of a sudden, here on Monday, March 6, 2023, You franchise tag Evan Ingram. He'll be back. Calvin Ridley gets reinstated by the league. He's a Jaguar. And word out of Nashville is that they're shopping Derrick Henry. You're like Andy Dufresne. I'm telling you, Jaguar fans, that's who you are. Whatever sins you have made, you have paid for them and then some over the last 15 years. You're now going to be reaping the benefits. You have suffered Long enough. And here is the AFC South for you as it stands right now. The Jaguars with that unbelievable nucleus of talent on offense against a Titan team that's cutting or trying to trade all their good players. By the way, Jeffrey Simmons, their best defensive player, took down all his Titan stuff off Instagram. What does that mean? I don't know. Except A.J. Brown did that a year ago. And he got out of Nashville. Does Jeffrey Simmons want out of Nashville too? Particularly if they trade Derrick Henry. And by the way, the Titans trading Derrick Henry actually think is a good move. He's going into the last year of his deal. He's not getting any younger. He'll never get you more value than he will right now. It'll start going down in value. I would think about trading him too. But it's great news for the Jaguars. Because the Titans appear to be clearly in rebuild mode. Indianapolis, a brand new head coach. They'll have a rookie quarterback. Houston, a brand new head coach. They will have a rookie quarterback. The question is will one of those teams have Anthony Richardson? Anthony Richardson on Saturday, ladies and gentlemen, put on a freak show in Indianapolis. One of the highlights of that freak show was what he did on the field and what he showed with his athletic ability. And there's no better evidence of that than what you saw with the 40-yard dash.
4: A broad jump of 10-9, and here he is running a 40-yard dash, and oh my goodness. It is full
1: Moses Malone. 4-4-4. A 4-4-4 officially turned into a 4-4-3 for Anthony Richardson. He set the combine record for the broad jump, the combine record for quarterbacks, for the vertical jump, and the fourth fastest 40 of quarterbacks in the history of the Combine. Two of the three guys that were faster than him were Michael Vick and RG3. They weighed 25 pounds less than Anthony Richardson did. In fact, I think Vick weighed 35 pounds less than Anthony Richardson. 244 pounds running a 4 40 We'll dedicate time tonight, later in the week, to Anthony Richardson. But my question to you is this, talking about the AFC South. If, if Houston or Indianapolis in the top five, if one of them ends up with Anthony Richardson, give you any trepidation, Jaguar fans? Any pause there? I don't know. I Look, I think Anthony Richardson, I've told you guys that I would not take him in the top 10. Doesn't mean I don't think he absolutely was a stud on Saturday. But I just saw too many overthrows, too many interesting decisions. I would take him in the first round. I think he's a first-round talent, no question. Top 10? I don't know. But you see an awful lot of people putting him in Indianapolis now. As more mock drafts come out, Indianapolis is a healthy landing spot for Anthony Richardson. Question is why? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Look who they just hired as their head coach. Shane Steichen, where'd he come from? Philadelphia. Who was his quarterback in Philadelphia? Jalen Hurts. What did Jalen Hurts do? He could throw it, and he could run it. And you saw how successful Philadelphia was with that method. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get in the phone lines, you are more than welcome to do so. Let's go to Stark. Let's get Philip in here on Hacker After Dark. Philip, what's going on?
4: Hacker, you got to turn tune it down a little bit, buddy, because uh, somebody's going to scoop you up in a different market. to have you doing drive time. You're doing such a great <laughs> job.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you, Philip. I appreciate it. What's was, on your mind tonight?
4: I was going up about Ridley. I mean, that, this Ridley guy is going to light it up. I got a feeling because it's kind of like this. It's like. Have you ever been around a guy who got a DUI and they get the license back? You think they're ever drinking again and dropping? Hell no. Mm-hmm. So this guy's got to be having, he's going to be ultra motivated because he had the fear of having it all snatched away.
1: Philip, does, it, does have- it worry you that he hasn't played since October of 2021?
4: These guys are premier athletes. Their native abilities are so great that they won't—they can get in shape. You know what I mean? It's, like, it, it's not like, they're not going to be in elite shape, and they're an elite talent, you know. And the guy went to Alabama, you know. Alabama is a good place to learn how to learn the process of being a professional football player. Oh. And I think that this guy is going to have a lot to prove, and I think he's going to have the benefit of one Trevor Lawrence to just make it. Uh, he's going to have that big twenty million dollar contract.
1: Hey, Philip, thank you for the call. Thank you for the kind words. You got to think about this too what Calvin Ridley does for the other receivers on the team, right? What he does for Christian Kirk. What he does for Zay Jones. What he does for Evan Ingram. We saw how good the Jaguar offense was last year, and no offense to Marvin Jones at all. I love Marvin Jones. I think what he did here in two years was spectacular. But essentially, if you keep the core intact and you're trading Marvin Jones for Calvin Ridley, and you still have ETN, you still have Ingram, you still have Zay, and you still have Kirk, good night. Just fix the defense, and let's go win a division championship again, and maybe more so. To San Jose we go. Let's get Logan in here on Hacker After Dark. Logan, what do you got? Hey, what's up, Hacker? How you doing tonight, sir? Logan, I'm good, brother. How are you?
5: I'm good. So a couple of things I just wanted to bring up. Can't wait to see Calvin Really on uh, the Jags coming up season. Uh, diehard Crimson Tide fan right here, so Roll Tide. I just think Calvin Really brings a different dynamic to the offense. And like you just stated, I mean, what he does for just Zay Jones, who's my favorite receiver for Jacksonville, I think Zay Jones could be one of the best receivers in the league next year. So that's the first thing for the Jacksonville thing. Second, man, did you watch the fight Saturday night? If anybody on this radio show – does not think John Jones is the greatest UFC fighter of all time. Come to Jacksonville, square up, let's fight about it. uh, (laughs) John Jones made it look easy Saturday night. Steve baby, Oches better get ready because he's about to get a butt whooping like he's never had before. John Jones is back, baby. Let's go.
1: Logan, appreciate it. Yeah, I saw the highlights of that. It was a beating. There's absolutely no question about that. But it was a good sports weekend. You had the UFC and their deal. You had... Um, conference tournament action beginning in the NCAA. By the way, Florida State's on the basketball court tomorrow in Greensboro for the ACC tournament. The ACC tournament begins tomorrow. Pretty unbelievable. But yeah, good sports weekend all the way around. Let's squeeze one more in before we get to Dave Campo. Let's go to the south side. Let's get Matt in here on Hacker After Dark. Matt, what do you got?
5: What's up, man? Hey on Calvin Ridley. He's a he's a premier athlete, but he might have worms in the brain. When he first had to take a break with the Falcons, he was too busy reading social media posts about him. He couldn't control the haters. The haters got in his head, you know. 12-year-old Kenny from Atlanta was talking crap about him and he couldn't take it. And then he started to make some dumb decisions on betting and so on and so forth. People forget that. I hope he does well here. We'll be we'll love to have him. Um, but also, Anthony Richardson, man, yeah, he didn't d- play too well at Florida all the time, but look at his stats compared to Josh Allen's stats. Josh Allen's league was a step above a JUCO you know, college college team he was playing. Anthony Richardson was playing against elite defenders. Elite defenders. You just got to have the right coach. I'd like to see him in Seattle. Sit with Pete Carroll, maybe behind Geno Smith. I wish him the best of luck. Thanks for your show.
1: Hey, Matt, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. He won't go to Seattle anytime soon. He ain't going to play anytime soon. Seattle, if you missed it earlier tonight, three years, $105 million for Geno Smith. I actually mentioned that earlier on Twitter. Imagine going into an Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat for the last six months. You emerge today and you're a diehard NFL fan to find out Evan Ingram got the franchise tag in Jacksonville. Geno Smith got $100 million. And Daniel Jones wants $45 million per in New York. You might want to go back into that darkness retreat for a couple of months. What on earth is going on in the National Football League? And the Calvin Ridley thing, he's 28. He last played when he was, I believe, 26. Two years. I remember what I was like at 26. I remember what I was like at 28 or 29. I was a different person. And so I do think this uh, time away probably made Calvin Ridley reevaluate some things. And we'll see. I would assume the Jaguars are going to reap the benefits of that. 641 1010 is the phone number. Thank you to the phone callers tonight. If you want to get in, we'll have time for you later on here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up next, let's talk combine. Let's talk free agency. Free agency only a week away. Let's talk Jaguar offseason with our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He's next on a Monday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark.
0: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, another interview on the Farah & Farrah
2: phone line, brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah & Farrah.
1: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Monday evening, and we are glad you are with us. The scouting combine in the rearview mirror. We are one week away. It's hard to believe from NFL free agency as the landscape of the league will begin changing as the offseason continues. With that, it's been a couple of weeks. I missed my guy on Monday nights. It's our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, my friend Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, I trust your last couple of weeks have been good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm uh
2: enjoying a little time to relax, and uh, at the same time, trying to look at this uh, combine and free agency, uh, you know, it's uh, listen, uh, it started. You know, it started for 2023, so uh, I'm excited about that, and hopefully we can keep going here.
1: All right, so your experience from being a head coach and being an assistant for all those years in the NFL, you got all the numbers, right? You're in Indianapolis, you got all the numbers, 300-plus prospects, You get on an airplane, you fly back home. What do you do now with all those numbers, Coach? What is the day or two after the combine like in all these NFL stadiums?
2: Well, first of all, you know, the way we did it, and obviously it's been a while since I've been there, but, you know, as assistant coaches, we certainly looked at our positions and we basically graded them while we were there on a scale of, you know, whether it was one for five one out of five or or ten or whatever, we would watch the workout, watch the forty yard dash, do all of those things, uh, watch the jumps and this and that, and we would put a, a a number grade on them. You know, let's say a guy had an an, an eight on a scale of ten. The next guy got a seven. Uh, you know we just graded everything on a number system as best we could. And then we would add those up and we would have a list of athletically what we ranked each one of those guys and where they fit on the scale. Whether he was number one, let's say, at the corner position or number 10 or whatever. Uh, That's all we did as coaches at that point. All of that stuff was graded and put in a, you know, as part of the total scouting package. And those things really wouldn't be touched grade wise until we started meeting prior to the draft, and then, you know, all those numbers would start to come out as you build the board, uh, getting ready for the draft. So, the great thing about the combine to me, and it's it's lessened lately because, because of all the on-campus workouts, uh, you, you get everybody together. You get the doctors' reports, which are really important uh, when you're going to dole out a lot of money. You want to have an idea who you are doling it out to uh, from a from a, a medical situation, and then what you end up with watching these guys. For example, I'll give you an example: a guy by the name of Jacorian Bennett. He's a corner from Maryland. Now, grade-wise, when you look at all the prognosticators, he's you know a guy that might be at the bottom of the roster or something like that. You know, he comes in and he runs. I think he ran somewhere in the 4 3 fives or something like that. That doesn't mean that he's a great football player, but it certainly makes you take notice. And now all of a sudden you start looking at that guy a little bit more as an assistant coach. So basically that's what's done with it. Uh, scouts today are all about the, the, the uh, data, you know, and the coaches are all about watching the film. So it's a combination of those two things. But at least watching them athletically, you get an idea of what the guy looks like.
1: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo, with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Coach, you mentioned the medicals, the interview process. You know, the fans watched NFL Network for the last four days. They saw on the field, they saw the 40-yard dash and all the drills that were going on on the field. From your perspective... What's more important, what they did on the field or what they did when you had them in for those interviews there in Indy?
2: Well, I'll tell you, to be honest with you, and and I should have mentioned that earlier because I think the ability to get up and close and personal with guys, there is an advantage to that. You know, if you're a good evaluator and you're a guy that can, you know, kind of decipher what a guy's doing, you know, that is an advantage uh, not only – you know, whether or not you pick a guy or not, but if that guy is picked by your team, you have an idea about the guy prior to actually getting him on, on your facility and, and working. So from that standpoint, there is an advantage to it. The problem you have a little bit though is that you know they're schooled pretty well by agents. You know, the agents have a, a notebook on what to say, what not to say, how to say it, uh, and You know, that in itself kind of clouds it a little bit, but I still like to get a guy eye to eye and ask him some questions and kind of get a feel for what the guy's all about, what he's done for training, you know, what he looks like uh, getting ready for a ball game, what he does and those kind of things make a difference in my opinion. Now you can bring in 30 guys at the end as far as the guys that you might be interested in drafting high. But uh, you're talking about the guys in the fourth, fifth and sixth and seventh rounds, which a lot of times have to make your team to stay under the cap. So it is a little bit of an advantage.
1: Coach, certainly one of the big stories coming out of the combine was Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson from the broad jump, the vertical jump, the 40 yard dash. I mean, he lit the combine up in those positional drills, also threw the ball very well. As an evaluator of talent like you that's been a part of the NFL for decades, what was your thought on Anthony Richardson? And, and why do you think, Coach, there is such a disconnect between people that followed him in college and people that cover the NFL? Because depending on what line of work you're in, your opinion varies very much on Anthony Richardson.
2: Well, again, you know, production uh, is is important in college. You know, I mean – A guy's got to be able to, to uh, put everything together. And the NFL is notorious for feeling like if a guy doesn't put it all together, but he has all the measurables that you can fix them. And that's why when you take quarterbacks, especially in the first round, there's such a difference hack between, you know, guys that make it and, and some guys don't make it because it's based on more than just the the measurables. And there's no question Anthony Richardson sticks out. I mean, you know, a guy that's 6'4", 250, 245 pounds, uh, that runs, you know, in the mid-4'4s, four uh, you know, that guy's got to take – got to take notice on a guy like that. One of the interesting things, and I'd really like to visit with, with uh, Denny Thompson on it, you know, the quarterback whisperer, because there's been a number of people say that the only problem with him is his accuracy, and his accuracy comes from his footwork. Well, you know, Denny knows that, you know, better than anybody, and he says all those things can continue to be fixed. So maybe people know more about the kid than just watching him and what he does on on, uh, Saturday. Uh, It's a little bit different when you get him in there as a professional to where it's his job where he doesn't have a lot of other things to think about but getting himself ready to be a, a, an outstanding football player. And if somebody takes him in a situation where he doesn't have to step out there the first day, that could be a situation that puts him in the first round as well.
1: I've gotten a lot of questions over the last couple of days for people that like Anthony Richardson, but they're on the college side. They don't you know, see the first-round talent. Well, why do NFL draft evaluators care about a quarterback's broad jump, Right. Or care about a quarterback's vertical jump? And my answer, and again, you're obviously more trained on this than I am, is just simply athletic ability, or is there more to it than that, Coach?
2: Well, I think it's athletic ability for sure, and I think that that makes a difference. You know, there's no question that, you know, there have been a lot of guys that can throw the heck out of the football but can't move, that can't make it anymore. You know, this game has changed, especially uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, of guys that can move, you know, and get out of trouble. And there's nothing worse. You've heard me say this a bunch of times, Hacker. I know that, that as a defensive coach, when you're looking at a guy and you've got him covered, got everybody covered, and the quarterback runs for 35 or 40 yards, there's nothing more uh, worse as a as a coach to see that happen because it's hard to get them all covered. And so his athletic ability and his ability to explode when a guy tackles him, the, the jump may show that, you know, the ability to accelerate. All those things, those things matter. But it still, to me, comes down to what he shows on film and what you think his potential is. A
1: couple of more for our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, Dave Campo. He's with us here on 1010XL. In Jacksonville. Coach, that NFL wheel keeps turning, and you get back from the combine, you, you decompress, but goodness gracious, a free agency doesn't start a week from today. Coach, at this point, do teams have a plan? I mean, do they know seven days from now the first calls they're going to make?
2: Absolutely. You know, this has been going on right after, from after the season. You know, they might have taken a week off or something, but. You know, uh, the the teams have pro scouts, uh, not, not just college scouts. There are some guys that all they do is study the other players in the NFL. And we had a board uh, that was just every player in the NFL graded by a color system, you know, either red, white, or blue, whatever the colors are. And when you're getting ready for free agency, you already have a starting point right after the season, that the coaches start looking at guys, uh, the the personnel people, the guys that make decisions, the administration start talking to those scouts and looking at grades and looking at film and making a decision on where they're at. Plus the fact that right after the season, all the coaching staff did was study their own players and come up with a idea of what they need what they don't need is there anybody out there that proves our football team can we get that done can we uh, you know we're going to take care of our own players first maybe but is there somebody that helps us especially if we lose one of them Uh, those are the kind of things that have been doing going on since the the day the season ended and they have a plan they know who they're going to call I wish I knew that I'd tell you but they the Jaguars have a plan for sure
1: Well, of course, there's never any tampering in the NFL, right? Nobody ever calls somebody before they're supposed to. Why would anybody think that goes on? But let's assume that next Monday at 4 o'clock or whatever it is, when the legal note, you know, you can start negotiating. Take us through that process, Coach. Literally one minute in, is that phone, you know, blazing for uh, these different NFL teams?
2: Well, first of all, uh, I want to make uh, sure you know that – you know, I stayed out of those aspects as a head coach and the assistant coaches are not in that. But I know the, uh, the, the beginning of the whole thing, the administration is ready to go and they will have called the agents uh, as soon as they were able to do it and, you know, start negotiating immediately. And then it becomes, most of the time, you know, I've heard Leon talk a lot about how, uh, you know, the, the agent just kind of kept him, I'm talking about Leon Searcy, Uh, kept him abreast of what was going on. But, uh, you know, those things are done in the administration, and it just depends on how much the head coach is involved uh, once the the decision is made where where each person stands and what they want. So, you know, they're ready to roll as soon as the season, as soon as that 13th comes around, they'll be on top of it, and they'll start bringing guys in guys that they're
1: interested in. Final moments here with former Dallas Cowboy head coach Dave Campo. Coach from a Jaguar point of view. Rumor is Evan Ingram will get the franchise tag tomorrow if they cannot reach a long-term deal. At the time you and I are speaking, a long-term deal has yet to be reached. So it appears, at least right now, the franchise tag is coming for Evan Ingram. That means Jawan Taylor is set to hit the market next Monday. Arden Key, set to hit the market next Monday among six or seven other guys, unless deals get done, obviously, in the next seven days. Uh, The word about Jawan Taylor, Coach, he's going to get big money. The Jaguars are hoping to keep him, but he's going to get big money. Let's say he does leave in free agency. What does that do to the Jaguar roster if Jawan Taylor is not here in 2023?
2: Well, that's one, and and again, I'm looking at it from afar. You know, I'm not over there. But I would say that the the Jaguars are in the driver's seat on that one. And when I say that, what I mean by that is they've got uh, Walker Little sitting in the background, and that gives them a distinct advantage. And I promise you, they want Juwan back because obviously he did a, a, a pretty good job this year maybe the best graded pass block and lineman they had. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, when you look at the total grades on, on him, he is not one of the top tackles in the league. And you look at his run production, uh, penalties, those kind of things, you know, he's, he's down the line in there. So they're making that very clear to him that, you know, we're not going to go above the number that we have down there. Now, what it does to the roster is that it? Probably forces them to go out in the draft and get a offensive tackle if he leaves somewhere in there. And you know, with offensive linemen, you this is a good year for them, I believe, from what I'm hearing and looking around a little bit. So that again is to the advantage uh, when in the negotiations. I think it really depends on where Juwan is as far as you know. Is he is he worried about one million? Uh, difference, uh, those usually yes, but sometimes, you know, you can get the feel that he enjoys being here. He doesn't want to be disrupted in those kind of things.
1: Coach, as we wrap up, other guys like Arden Key, um, you know, Dewey Wingard, Marvin Jones, Chris Manhurst, Dan Arnold, the rest of the free agents. You're so close to the market opening now. We're inside of a week. At this point, you want to get to the market and see what's out there, right? That's why you don't really see a lot of guys – resign a week out because you want to see maybe what what would be out there for you
2: yeah I think especially the middle round guys I think that what they've done is they probably with the guys like Dan Arnold and those guys they probably talked to them uh, each one of them individually and said hey you know uh, you might want to test the waters but we certainly would love to have you back at the right uh, number that is good for both of us and I hear uh, Trent talked a lot about, Trent Baalke talked a lot about win-win situation. Uh, that's certainly the case, whether it's a top guy or whether it's a guy that's a role player within the ball club. You know, I think that there's a lot of guys in there, the band hertzers and guys like that, that they'd like to have back. But they're certainly not going to break the bank on those guys. They are they're they feel pretty good about what's going on on offense. And defensively, I think Arden Key might be one that they would really – be willing to go a little bit over what they, uh, you know, think that they can do. And, and I think if it really came right down to it, with the situation that, that Jacksonville has with with the uh, no uh, state income tax, things like that, they could probably come back, you know, later on and still get some guys uh, after they look around.
1: Coach, final question. we got about 60 seconds. Evan Ingram likely to be franchised. That carries with it an $11 million or so price tag as a tight end. Although you look at Evan Ingram, you could argue very, very honestly that he might as well be a slot receiver, which would come with another $15 million price tag under that circumstance. He's not. He is a tight end. Could that get sticky if he gets franchised and he sees what other receivers are getting? and say, hey, wait a minute, that, that's that's not cool?
2: No, I don't think so. You know, I really think that the locker room that they have going over there right now, that, that uh, Coach Peterson has has gotten going there, the culture, the, the, the improvement that they've made there, I think this team wants to win. I, I don't think there's much animosity between people. Now, you know, again, everybody's different. You know, they may some people may look at it differently, but uh, I just don't get that feel with this group. I really think that they feel like they've got a chance next year if they put some guys in place uh, to, to make a run at this whole thing. And, and I, I'm glad. I'm, I, I think that's the way it should be. Uh, and uh, at the same time, I believe uh, Ingram is worth $11 million. I don't think there's any question the, the situation he has with a quarterback, that, that uh, chemistry and that kind of thing. I think he's worth every penny of that. And, uh, you know, again, I think that that's going to be a real plus for the ball club.
1: Our head coach here on Hacker After Dark is Dave Campo, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and the coach is always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Coach, appreciate it, my friend. Free agency next week. Let's chat in a couple of weeks and see how the Jaguars fared.
2: You got it, Hack. I always love talking with you, and, uh, you know, have a great week, and we'll see what happens here.
1: Appreciate my guy, Dave Campo, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, next week, next Monday, NFL free agency. I always love it, too. I think it starts at noon Eastern. And last year at, like, 12.03 Eastern, the Bengals had signed Alex Kappa, the lineman from Tampa Bay. So they obviously negotiated and came to terms on a deal in 180 seconds because that's when it was announced. The Jaguars, I think, waited all of two hours before they officially signed Brandon Sheriff on opening day. Or I guess not signed, but agreed to terms with Brandon Sheriff on opening day last year. More on the National Football League. A lot going on around the National Football League. We'll get to it in a moment. Also, Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. He's got a fresh seven round seven round mock draft out this morning. His post-combine mock draft. He'll join us here on Hacker After Dark in the next 15 minutes or so and review the Combine, and particularly review Anthony Richardson's performance. But as always, we are givers here on Hacker After Dark. We're here for you, the late shift, the graveyard shift, those of you that bust your rear ends in the evening hours to get it done all over Northeast Florida. Dylan Denmark, what do we have for the good folks tonight? I got a pair of tickets to the Celtic Music Heritage Festival in St. Augustine on March 11th. Call me at 641-1010. Denmark, is that Celtic or Celtic? I don't know. I've asked about 87 different times. I've I've messed it up every time. It's like, I got Celtic. No, no, Denmark. It's Celtic. One Celtics. more time. One more time. What do we got? We got a pair of Celtic Music and Heritage Festival tickets to St. Augustine on March 11th. March 11th. 641-1010. Be caller number four right now. And you will get hooked up with those pair of tickets, courtesy of Dylan, Denmark, here on Hacker After Dark. NFL news and notes, coming up next. This is
0: Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
1: Yardage, let's see what happens on third. Barr, Adams, downfield, he's got it, touchdown, Las Vegas! That was ESPN, Derek Carr to Devontae Adams. The Fresno State connection lasted all of one year. Derek Carr was released by the Las Vegas Raiders a couple of weeks ago. He's been on a little bit of an NFL recruiting tour. We heard Carolina. We heard the New York Jets. We heard the New Orleans Saints. As early or as recently as this morning, the Jets were thought maybe to be the leader. No, 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 no. Not after a four-year, $100-plus contract. That's what Derek Carr is getting to be the brand-new quarterback of the New Orleans Saints as the first big quarterback domino falls this NFL offseason. I've always liked Derek Carr. Derek Carr's been to, what, a handful of Pro Bowls? You could do a lot worse than Derek Carr. A lot worse than Derek Carr. So, the New Orleans Saints got better today. Keep in mind, they have been going between Jameis Winston when he's not hurt, Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill. Now you get Derek Carr, a Pro Bowl caliber player, with Michael Thomas, with Chris Olave, probably with Alvin Kamara. We'll see about the legal process there. Kamara's got some issues he's dealing with off the field, but assuming those get cleared up. Alvin Kamara in the backfield. It's pretty good for New Orleans. One thing Jaguar fans to keep in mind, you now play Derek Carr this year. Derek Carr is one of a handful of quarterbacks the Jaguars are going to play. Listen to this list. Jacksonville in 2023 is scheduled right now to take on Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, Josh Allen in Buffalo. Now, Derek Carr in New Orleans, Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, possibly Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, a combination of C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, or Anthony Richardson, which at least one and probably two of those are going to end up in the division with Houston and Indianapolis. And then you still have the likes of Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, potentially Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, So, it is not going to be a cakewalk for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They are playing a lot of good quarterbacks this upcoming year. New Orleans gets a good one today with Derek Carr. What are they doing in Nashville, Tennessee? Already this offseason, they have released Robert Woods, Taylor Lewan, Zach Cunningham, Randy Bullock. Now today it's announced they released Bud Dupree and at least at the Combine reports came out that they were shopping Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's got one year left on his contract. Derrick Henry is not getting any younger and Derrick Henry's value will never be as high as it is right now moving forward. So if you're Tennessee and if you're in a rebuild, why not? pull the trigger, and get something for Derrick Henry, which begs the question, if you're willing to cut Bud Dupree and Taylor Lewan and Zach Cunningham and listen to trade offers for Derrick Henry, what are you doing with Ryan Tannehill making that much money? What are you doing with Ryan Tannehill making that much money? You're not in a rebuild when you're paying your quarterback a bazillion dollars, which is what Tennessee is on the book for for Ryan Tannehill. So, I don't exactly know what they're doing in Nashville. But whatever they're doing, it's not good. Which is good for the Jacksonville Jaguars. By the way, there are a lot of New York Jet fans in the city of Jacksonville. How are you feeling tonight? Derek Carr is a saint. We still don't know about Aaron Rodgers, but the rumor is that he's very interested in Las Vegas. What are the New York Jets going to do at quarterback? Could they be in the Ryan Tannehill or Jimmy Garoppolo or Carson Wentz hunt? Once again, it is a nightly occurrence here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Frank Gore for getting that first down on December 20th, 2020, handing the Jaguars Trevor Lawrence... And the New York Jets now in March of 2023 have Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, and Mike White as their quarterbacks and have absolutely no idea what they're going to do at quarterback coming up here this upcoming season. Thank you to Frank Gore for doing that in December of 2020. Geno Smith, a $100 million man. Three years, $105 million extension for Geno Smith in Seattle. I mentioned this earlier. Imagine you were a diehard NFL fan. You go into seclusion for the last three or four months. You come out of seclusion today to find out Evan Ingram was franchise tagged in Jacksonville. Geno Smith got $100 million. And Daniel Jones wants $45 million annually in New York. Wow. That was not the case a year ago. But things change. Gino had a good year. Is he worth that much money? I No, he's not to me. But he is to Seattle. Geno Smith, bad news coming in today. Tomorrow, the franchise tag deadline. We know Josh Jacobs with the Raiders. Tony Pollard in Dallas. Deron Payne in Washington. And Evan Ingram here in Jacksonville have been franchised. Tomorrow, the wait-and-see game with Lamar Jackson. And with Daniel Jones, 4 o'clock Eastern is the deadline for teams to place the franchise tag on a given player. The Combine in the rearview mirror, Anthony Richardson, was a ferocious monster on Saturday. Let's talk about that performance. Let's talk Combine. Let's talk Jaguars and the draft with my man Shane Hallam. DraftCountdown.com, one of my favorite draft websites this time of year. He's next with a brand new seven-round mock draft that he put out earlier today. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The NFL Scouting Combine in the rearview mirror, all eyes pointing towards free agency, which is next week, and of course, the NFL Draft now well inside of two months. Shane Hallam of Draft Countdown. You guys know I love DraftCountdown.com. Shane, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Shane, how are we doing?
3: I'm doing great. It was a it was a fun weekend at the combine. We had a lot of storylines, so I'm excited to have in the rearview mirror, but to, to get all this information.
1: Shane, obviously, look, there are a lot of stories that are coming out of the combine. We'll hit those with you, but the biggest one in these parts is Anthony Richardson. You've done this for a long time. Uh, your thoughts on what Anthony Richardson did on the field there on Saturday?
3: I, it was it was incredible like like i knew it was going to be good right i think everyone that knows anthony richardson knows how much of an athlete he is and even at you know six three three quarters 244 so he's gonna have a great workout i did not expect him to have the greatest quarterback workout of all time that's not even just the combine you'll hear a lot oh yeah the the longest broad jump, the biggest vertical in combine history. It's not just combine history; it's NFL history. Every pro day, every quarterback workout ever. Anthony Richardson bested all those numbers, uh, which which is absolutely phenomenal. the The four four three. I predicted a four four seven, which is pretty close, but I didn't expect him to get you know the 40 time. Uh, it, it was just it you know it was phenomenal to see and to watch, to experience what this was and it certainly helps him, even if you knew he was going to do close to this. It helps Anthony Richardson because that buzz, every NFL team is now talking about him, and that's what you want.
1: Yeah, you mentioned his four-four-three. I saw this stat. Anthony Richardson, that's the fourth fastest 40 that a quarterback's ever run in Indianapolis at the Combine. The other three included in that list were Michael Vick and RG3, but all the guys that ran faster 40s, all weighed 25 pounds or, le- or more less than Anthony Richardson. So at 244 pounds to run a 443, just absolutely incredible. Shane, you're the perfect guy to ask because you've done this for a while on the NFL draft side. You talk to college football guys. They like Anthony. He's considered more of a project. You talk to guys in your line of work, and they're salivating over Anthony Richardson. Why is there such a disconnect there?
3: i I think for for the draft when you talk about prognosticating the draft it 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 is about kind of that upside right a lot of times teams are drafting players for their ceiling and anthony richardson has the highest ceiling of any quarterback in this draft i think with college football analysts who have watched this whole year of anthony richardson who have seen the, the the good games the tennessee game they've seen the bad games they they see the inconsistency in a player that that honestly couldn't get his offense to a point where they could consistently win games. And so I think that's what the disconnect comes with is I I recognize, you know, some of the, the technique issues, the footwork issues, the progression issues uh, sometimes seeing things that aren't there. I mean, there's a lot that Richardson has to work on from that passing perspective, but when you have the, the greatest athlete at quarterback ever, You have an an arm strength that is phenomenal as well. I mean, he showcased that in the passing drills. The passing drills, I don't think were great for him. I don't think it was, wow, you know, this is an NFL quarterback right now. But you saw the arm. You saw some of the short and intermediate passes. He was – the arm strength is there. But the ball placement isn't. The footwork was sloppy. So I think that's the the difference between those things. And that's what NFL teams have to work at. I imagine there's going to be – and some of these NFL uh, rooms and scouting rooms, there's going to be some dissension. There's going to be some some scouts that say, nah, we, I don't want that guy. That's not going to work out. There are going to be some scouts that say, you know, coaches that say I can work with them, I can get them where I need them to go. That's going to be the conversations, the same things we're having right here.
1: Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Shane, you personally, where is Anthony Richardson on your quarterback board? Uh,
3: I, I saw so I, I have him third on my quarterback board after CJ Stroud and Bryce Young uh, I think he definitely could go first or second in the draft be the first or second quarterback taken Um, but I think the workout did put him over Will Levis from Kentucky for me and I think both have some issues and so I'd much rather swing for I think the upside that Richardson brings to the table my overall board I'm they're probably gonna have him lower than most people and have him lower than NFL teams will have him uh because I, I you know I trust some of those fundamentals of the quarterback position more. Ultimately I my mock draft I released today, I have him going fourth over all to the Colts.
1: Wow and and uh if memory serves, the last time we had you on, you had Anthony Richardson in the second round. So you obviously have moved him way up. Is that just solely On what you saw in Indianapolis, are you hearing things? How would you assess why you moved him up so much?
3: It's a combination of the two. I think seeing what I saw in Indianapolis is, okay, a team's going to buy into this. I I put my ear to the ground. I talked to a couple people that are are connected on a couple of these uh, NFL teams and said, like, yeah, he's not getting out of the top ten and probably the top five. So a team like the Colts who – they generally have drafted um, guys that are among the 95% athletic tier for every position that they drafted the last two years. Anthony Richardson's the guy that fits that bill.
1: Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. Bryce Young chose not to participate. Anthony Richardson goes out there and does what he did. And then C.J. Stroud was maybe even better at the accuracy portion of Of it, Not not the 40, but certainly what C.J. Stroud did through the air on Saturday, Shane, unbelievably impressive. What is the thought on Stroud compared to Bryce Young now coming out of the combine?
0: I have them
3: back-to-back. I think I'll continue to have them back-to-back in my quarterback and overall rankings. Um, I have had Stroud first pretty consistently since August. Um, I'm going to keep it that way. I think the throwing for Stroud was so good, so smooth. And one thing that he did that I don't know if I've ever really seen at this level at the combine is every pass looked the same. I mean, the footwork, the motion, everything was just exactly the same whether he was throwing at 65 yards or five yards. And I think that is super impressive and shows just how disciplined C.J. Stroud is and how smart he plays. I, I think it hurt Bryce Young to not throw because if he would have thrown and done something similar, then you say, OK, now now we're talking. We have two really good guys here. We'll have to wait for the pro day, which I'm sure Bryce Young will do well. So it's not really necessarily a knock on him. He's not falling down boards or anything. Uh, but but for me, it's it's Shroud one, Bryce Young two.
1: Aside from the main quarterbacks that we've talked about, was there another quarterback in Indy that helped himself the most over the weekend?
3: Yeah, I, I think they actually had a couple. And and one's a big name. I think Stetson Bennett, the quarterback out of Georgia. Probably helped himself the most, you know. He had the full workout, which most of these quarterbacks did did not do, um, and you know, and looked really good doing that. I, I also think that the passing drills were helpful for Stetson Bennett. He, he it came, the ball came off his arm pretty good. Even coming in at only 192 pounds, he came in under six feet tall. Uh, he looked like he had the arm for the NFL. You run a four six seven, and and you show that you have won two national championships, right? I mean, you have that in your resume. I think teams on day three are going to say, why would we take any other quarterback? Let's take Bennett. He has upside. He has experience. He has the arm strength. Uh, Let's bring him in. So I think Stetson Bennett maybe propped himself up by three rounds or so.
1: Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. Shane, if you start looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars, look, we don't know what they're going to do at pick 24, certainly. There's a lot of directions that they could go there, but – Tight end appears to be something that could potentially be on their radar, even if they ultimately franchise Evan Ingram, which it appears they're going to do tomorrow. Uh, Darnell Washington, Stetson Bennett's teammate from Georgia, as impressive as Anthony Richardson was at the quarterback spot, I was blown away with some of the things Darnell Washington did at his size. I mean, how much did Darnell Washington help his draft stock on Saturday?
3: I think he's a first round pick through and through. If uh, you come in at, at- uh over six six and a half 264 pounds run a 464 four, and I, I thought he looked impressive in terms of movement in a lot of the tight end field drills uh, i know a lot of people are going to just spout the numbers but that's important to me can he move at that size and I, and he wasn't asked to at georgia a ton to do some of the, the crazy things because they have brock bowers their number one tight end uh but he, i think he showed he can move and go through some of the route tree so I think it establishes Washington as a firm first round pick I think if the Jaguars do look at tight end Darnell Washington is going to be high on that board because I think Dalton Kincaid out of Utah might be gone by then maybe decide between the upside of Darnell Washington or the safety of a guy like Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame
1: it's a good year for tight ends correct I mean you could have three going round number one you don't see that every year
3: I think it's the best I've seen probably in 10 years, about 10 years. So this is the year. If you need a tight end, this is the year to get it. Because day two as well, littered with really good tight ends.
1: There's also a thought, Shane, that if the Jaguars lose Jawan Taylor in free agency next week, they could be in the market for an offensive tackle. Maybe not in round number one, but maybe in rounds two or three. How do you assess the offensive tackle spot after the combine?
3: It's a good group. I've thought – The players that were kind of on that day one, day two fringe helped themselves a little bit. Players like Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle out of Tennessee, who had a really good season, as well as built on it with the Senior Bowl and ended up moving really well. Uh, Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma um, had some had some unfortunate misreporting of his arm length, but it got corrected. Over 34 inches, he had a 4.9840 time among I think the, the the best of the offensive tackles there. So I, and I, even those guys that are on the fringe, I don't expect them to all bump up into round one because there's so many good defensive players. That could help the Jaguars in round two to take one of those two players. Uh, Dewan Jones, the offensive tackle out of Ohio State with the you 6'8", know, 374 pounds. If you want to play him at right tackle, he gets super intriguing. Uh, I think there's going to be a decent crop there in late round two for the Jaguars to pick from.
1: Shane Hallam, draft countdown, dot com. Shane, another position is the defensive back position. uh, Primarily maybe the nickel corner spot for Jacksonville. You see a lot of mock drafts that have them going in that direction. Akili Ringo from Georgia is a name we've heard a lot here in Jacksonville. How would you look at the defensive back group and say the top 60 prospects? Is it a good year if you're looking for a nickel corner?
3: I I think it's a really good year. This corner group definitely helped themselves at the combine. It was just blazing 40 after blazing 40 after, you know, really smooth back pedals. I think if you need that kind of nickel cornerback, this is an excellent year to do it. You you mentioned some of the names that could go in that round one mix, Uh, Joey Porter Jr. from Penn state as well. He, you know, he had a good one. Uh, Deontay banks out of Maryland had an excellent, excellent workout. And he's, he's a big dude. Um, And I think even some of the guys in day two that you might look and say, okay, this is a traditional, nickel Corner, according to bennett out of maryland uh helped himself um you know i think there's a lot of those players so to me i, I mean I, in my mock today i have upwards of eight to nine corners going in round one and round two um to, that's absolutely bonkers that doesn't happen very often so i think it is a good year for it
1: shane as we begin to wrap up we talk about guys that help themselves at the combine did anybody hurt themselves at the combine, either with their workout or the interview? I mean, I know the Jalen Carter thing, which I guess we'll get to in a moment, because I'm curious your thoughts there. But aside from Jalen Carter, anybody maybe not impressed like you thought they would?
3: Yeah, I I mean, there's always a couple that kind of, you know, run a little bit worse than you think or or maybe don't look uh, exactly as fluid as you want. I don't think there were a ton. Probably the top guy – in terms of hurting himself was Kayshawn Boutte, the wide receiver at LSU, who at one point was maybe touted after his freshman season as the top receiver in this class, going to be a first round pick. He ran a four five Oh, he actually, his second, his first run was like a four, six, seven, or second was like four, six, seven was really bad. Um, he, he was pretty awful in the vert in the broad jump, like a player that should be, you know, Four, five star recruit, super athletic, just wasn't. And, and, and that's, that. I think it hurts him and bumps him into day three uh, ultimately. Um, we didn't have a ton on the defensive side that I, that I think hurt themselves too much. I think there were some safeties that ran poorly at a small size um, in corners Clark Phillips, the third from Utah, Trey Dean and Rashad Torrance, both from Florida. Uh, so, you know, there's some guys that didn't maybe hit the thresholds that you were hoping for. And that's sometimes that's what you look at.
1: How are teams in the top five <laughs> assessing, talking about Jalen Carter? What what What's the situation there, in your opinion?
3: I think a lot of it's just a wait and see. They want to see it, what this legal process does. I think his agent is probably going to tell him, hey, you want to get this wrapped up as quick as you can, plea bargain, whatever. Um, it, two misdemeanor charges right now, try to get it behind you. Uh, but I do think if things are situated or if at least there's – You know, he's not going to miss playing time or have prison time. I don't think teams are going to, um, going to, going to knock him too much. Do I think he goes, you know, number one or number two overall anymore? No. But now he's probably looking at five through 15.
1: Yeah. For people that don't know, reckless driving, one of the charges for Georgia defensive with, uh, tackle Jalen Carter stemming from that horrible situation in Athens that took, uh, You know, the lives of two, uh, one a teammate and another uh, football staff worker. Uh, Apparently some racing potentially involved with Jalen Carter. That's at least a charge. And reckless driving. Two misdemeanor charges. That's important. Misdemeanor charges. And Carter has released a statement saying that the legal process will play out. He feels like he'll be vindicated. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. Shane, leave us with this. I saw your latest mock draft earlier today. You're already on mock draft 9.0. All right, there's no rest. For Shane Hallam, all right? He's not on 2.0 or 3.0. He's on 9.0. What can people expect when they go to DraftCountdown.com? You get everything. You get
3: a seven-round mock draft, which most people don't do. So if you want to see those day three gems, you can check that out uh, at Draft Countdown. You'll get my full set of rankings. And if you want all the combine numbers, we have them under the combine tab at the top. You can actually get a sortable table. Every single position, you can sort by 40 time. You can sort by height, weight, whatever you want. So that's uh, super helpful for people.
1: He's one of our guys when it comes to the draft. Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. He does a terrific job with that website. Shane, thank you as always, man. Know you're busy. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. And just like that, Florida State has begun spring football, spring practice number one. On Monday, March the 6th, hard to believe it's here again. And a lot has happened with Florida State in the last month or so. A new contract extension for Mike Norvell and an unhappy athletic director, it appears, when it comes to money revenue-wise, what's happening in the Atlantic Coast Conference. we got a lot to cover with that. Let's go to one of our guys in Tallahassee, Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. That is the rival's website for Florida State. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Kurt, how we doing?
0: Doing, doing well. It's always nice to be back in football season of sorts.
1: Yeah, look, spring ball is here, and I want to get to there in a moment. But things have happened since the last time you and I talked. Let's begin with the extension for Mike Norvell, uh, now signed, I believe, through the 2029 season. Boy, who would have ever thought that? You know, six months ago. Heck, four months ago, uh, with where Florida State was, but what a job by Mike Norvell, Kurt, and I think an extension that was very well deserved.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the uh, the 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 price of college football, kind of playing at the top levels in in today's the age of college football is. I mean, a season like that, especially kind of a breakout season after kind of some struggles, um, you're gonna get rewarded. You're gonna get the the raise. I mean, he's kind of. I think. I think maybe the highest paid coach in the state of Florida right now. I think just ahead of what's been reported about Mario Cristobal. But yeah, I mean, he, uh, a worthy race to be sure after, I mean, a great season and I mean, building a team that seems ready to compete for some big things in, in 2023.
1: How did he turn it around? I mean, look, there were serious questions about him coming into last year. And then of course they beat LSU on, on Labor Day weekend. And, Really, just propelled from there to a ten-win season with wins over their two arch rivals in Miami and Florida. I mean, it was a great job by Norvell, but but how did he go from bowl? I mean, not going to bowl games back to back years to Kurt? They won ten games last year, man. That's an incredible turnaround.
0: Uh, to borrow Mike Norvell's cliche that he talks about, I mean, with with their program, I mean, they climbed. They he he talks about his thing is keep climbing and it was a gradual thing I mean I think it Florida State fans would have loved if he'd come in in year one and and won eight games and kind of immediately showed like oh wow like here we go but I think he knew he had time and was going to be afforded time and and could build it the right way and I think that's I mean absolutely what he did I think he inherited a pretty rough culture situation being the third head coach in four years and it took time to instill that and I think. uh dealing with the, the coronavirus pandemic, his first off season didn't help him by any means, but I think he did that slowly. I mean, obviously, I think uh, the transfer portal's been huge. I mean, that hit rate, we've seen, I mean, some of the perils of the transfer portal at some other places where maybe uh, you have success one season and then the next year, not as much. Looking at Michigan State, looking at maybe an old Miss, but Florida State's hit rate's been uh, pretty high every year and, and we'll be able to see the spring if it's high again. But I think that's been a big part of it. But I mean, it's also just a... Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't tried to rush it. He's done it, quote-unquote, the right way.
1: Kurt Weiler of the Osceola here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville as Florida State begins spring practice this week. Kurt, before we get to spring drills, uh, look, the AD over there at, uh, in Tallahassee, Michael Alford, what I guess about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, certainly made some news that he was not happy with the financial situation in the Atlantic Coast Conference. He went public with that. At a trustee meeting, he knew every media outlet would pick that up, and they sure did. I mean, we're talking about it. What is the thought right now about Florida State and the Atlantic Coast Conference? Because uh, with what the SEC and the Big Ten are generating revenue-wise, the ACC is falling behind, and Florida State does not appear to be happy about it.
0: No, I mean, nor should they be, because he brought up, I mean, some some I think some valid points about, I mean, he kind of – It was the ultimate, like, he ain't wrong with what he's talking about. I mean, talking about, I think his numbers were, like, Florida State gets what I think, like, it's, like, brings 15% of the, like, conference revenue with what it brings as a brand. But it only gets kind of an even chunk to everyone else. I think it comes out to, like, I think 7%. So, I mean, it's kind of they're bringing twice as much as they're getting. And there are definitely, I think, when you look elsewhere, some programs that are not bringing nearly as much as kind of the share they are getting. So, he, he talked about i mean kind of a need for a, an unequal revenue split which we've seen a few places before we've seen with texas and the big 12 when they launched the uh, the longhorn network obviously that didn't uh keep texas in the big 12 long term as they're going to the sec next year but yeah i think uh I, I i think he brought that up and went public with it because i think that uh the the the, the grant of rights that that the acc is locked into through 2036 they're not going to get to uh renegotiate and uh, a new TV deal for like over a decade for now. I mean, they are locked in for a while. And so they're only going to probably fall further behind as I think a lot of the other conferences get to like start new deals soon and then go to the well again for even better deals before Florida state's up. So he, uh, there, it's not easy to, it's not been easy to get out of that. They have not yet found a loophole. And so I think the next step is kind of trying to, uh, uh, go go public and try and kind of put the pressure on uh, Jim Phillips that way and, and and see what comes of it
1: Well that that's my next question Kurt again. I mean what's the end game here are they is there a way for them to get out of the ACC? I mean does the ACC you know have them uh, till 2036 there's nothing Florida State can do I mean well, what's the thought with going public as far as their relationship with the ACC and is there an out there?
0: So they cannot probably get out unless they find a loophole anytime soon. I think uh, it, a talking point from Michael Alford and, and I think the uh, at Florida State's general counsel during that was uh, that the the exit fee, I think, is like would be about one hundred twenty million dollars. That's the exit fee from the ACC. And if Florida State were to make if, they, if another conference wanted them right now, which if they're way out of the G.O.R., it's quite possible they would then uh, then. They, they would make that up that up within four years. the problem is that leaves out the uh, if they leave before 2036 they are vacating all of the money they make from a TV contract to the ACC until 2036. That would be a much bigger figure that probably puts the total Florida State would owe like upwards of 300 million dollars which is not reasonable anytime in the near future. I mean are they locked until 2036? No, because as things get closer, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I I I mean, Florida State's ideal would probably be, I think, if uh, if eight teams all decided to leave at once, then the grants of rights would be voided. That's probably Florida State's ideal, but it's probably not realistic because the big two, if you will, don't want eight teams from the ACC. They want a small handful, maybe somewhere in the, the two to four, maybe five range, if that. So, yeah, they're, I mean, right now they're kind of stuck, and I think that's why you're trying to speak the unequal revenue sharing, maybe given the Florida State, the Clemson, the the big media brands, when you look at television numbers and things like that, which is what matters for those contracts, it's trying to get them a bigger piece of the pie because they're kind of stuck right now. There is no way out. So that's a way to maybe improve things while being stuck where
1: they are. Is Clemson as unhappy as Florida State is about this? Yeah, I think this
0: felt very coordinated. I think Clemson's AD talked about it, not as it didn't get picked up as publicly but talked about it a little, and then I think got asked about it after Alfred's comments and kind of were like, yes, we would also like unequal revenue sharing. It definitely, I think this came not long after a, a, a session of meetings with kind of the, the ADs from across the ACC and the commissioner, and so I think it may have been a somewhat coordinated effort.
1: couple more for Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, that's the Rivals website covering Florida State all right spring practice let's get to something actually on the field and that is the Florida State football team beginning Monday afternoon for spring football Jordan Travis is back for his decade uh tenure there in Tallahassee that guy has been the seminal quarterback seemingly forever different feel around Jordan Travis this year as it's very clear Kurt and you tell me because you're on the ground there but from afar over here in Jacksonville It appears that a Heisman Trophy campaign is well underway with uh, Jordan Travis there in Tallahassee.
0: Yeah, Florida State launched the website, I think, uh, the night after the Heisman ceremony this last year. And I think uh, Circus Sports put out their odds yesterday. And I think Jordan Travis was a distant second place behind kind of the, the reigning champion, Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback who's back. But I think he was, I mean second on the odds list. I think he is definitely going to be in that conversation. I think the big thing is, I mean, it's a team that has big expectations. It's going to be a preseason top five or 10 team. It kind of checks that box. And it's a team that I think it, 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 if the dominoes fall right, could could contend for a playoff spot, absolutely. It's kind of a shame for Florida State that uh, that this isn't the, the 12-year playoff starts a year from now, not now, because I think in a 12-year team playoff, I would feel really good about Florida State being there. But, yeah, I mean, the talent around him, the team with expectations, it checks a lot of the boxes for a guy who could. I mean, I think the, the, the dual threat definitely uh, helps him as well. I think that's often a way for quarterbacks to to help their case there. So, no, it's a, it, it is an off-season of hype for sure.
1: Kurt, what are the big storylines coming into spring football for Florida State this year? What do they need to work on and improve on the most?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, truthfully, it's a good problem to have. I mean, this is as deep a roster – as Florida State's had in, in a number of years, probably dating back to, I mean, the, the 2016, 2017 end of the Jimbo Fisher era. I think uh, it's – it's. I mean, you've got a good problem to have now of not not finding guys to fill spots, but of the many capable guys, finding the right guys to uh, to fill those spots. I think you're going to have some really intense position battles. I mean, a lot of guys – for the first time in a while more offensive linemen probably worthy of playing than you do spots There'll be a real battle there uh a receiver i would say the same is true at defensive back i would say the same is true i mean it's a it, i'm interested to see how the transfers fit in i mean bringing in a guy like fentral cypress who was an all acc cornerback at virginia i mean that i think could be a major fix for a secondary that uh that i think struggled against some of the better quarterbacks on the schedule uh last season. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's exciting kind of to, to be covering a team after a while to, to be covering a team where it's, I mean, it's, there are so many more capable guys than there are like probably playing time to go around. It's a, it's a nice problem to have. And I guess this spring's kind of about starting to sort some of that out.
1: Final moments here with Kurt Weiler of the Osceola, you mentioned the transfer portal, you know, whether it was Jermaine Johnson, Jared verse, Johnny Wilson. I mean, These are program-altering transfers that Florida State is getting in seemingly on a regular basis. The fact that Johnny Wilson and Jared Verse came back this year is is nothing short of incredible, particularly Verse. He was projected to be a a first-round pick more than likely. I mean, Johnny Wilson and Jared Verse in 2023, I would have to think their expectation coming in is is through the roof. Yeah, I think think both of them, I mean – I think both of them could have gotten drafted
0: in some capacity, but I think both of them could stand to come back and boost their draft stock. I think both of them have the chance to absolutely be first round draft picks. I mean, Johnny to be six, seven and move as well as he does is uh is impressive. And I think if he comes back and, and fixes some more of the drop issues, they got better from spring to fall last year. If they can kind of improve him more and have less of those drops, I think he absolutely could be a first round guy. And Jared, I think uh, got an injury early in the year was never really entirely healthy again. And so I think uh, kind of a reset for him could do. I mean, because we saw in that LSU game early in the season what he can do and how effective he can be. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they, they came back. I mean, it's a chance for that. But also, I mean, it helps being in the NIL era that uh, both of them can get paid and and have an opportunity to, I mean, maybe be a part of a special season. I think that uh, that plays a role, too, for sure. I mean, once as more and more guys come back, as Fabian Lovett came back, as as a host of other guys who kind of had either transfer decisions maybe they want to go sh- be sure they have a starting spot somewhere else or other guys with draft decisions came back i mean it just adds to what could be i mean a special a special roster a special team if, if things break right for florida state and i think uh that helps too. kind of wanting to be a part of something special like that
1: hey kurt final question why is norvell been so successful in the portal? I mean, not only is he consistently in the top five, top three of the transfer portal rankings, but they're getting guys in that are altering the direction of that program. Why has he been so good in the portal?
0: Uh, He is, I mean, if you talk to the guys, we interview them when they get here. You'll regularly hear from them that he's like the first coach or his staff is like the first staff to reach out. I think they are very on the portal. I mean, they're kind of living in it. Always, always reaching out early. And I think that definitely helps in a lot of these portal recruitments where things can move really, really, really quickly. I mean, they could sometimes be over in a matter of days, maybe even day. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it, it, that's where I've been impressed with him as a recruiter. I think I remember Jermaine Johnson talking a while ago about when, when Florida State reached out to Jermaine Johnson, who'd been at Georgia. Who'd seen what Florida State was—a a, a three-win team the year before? He was kind of like, "I'm not going to Florida State." And the more he talked to Mike Norvell, I mean, he was persuaded. Mike Norvell, I mean, won him over. And so I think uh, he he obviously makes some pretty compelling arguments, and I think uh, it pitches his big thing is, "I'm gonna I'm going to do my best to make you better every day." All I ask is that you give your best, and I think that it resounds with a lot of those guys who kind of are in the the second recruitments as transfers, if you will. And obviously now the track record, I think, helps them too. Kind of speaks for itself.
1: Kurt Weiler of the Osceola during Florida State spring football. The Osceola will have you covered as Mike Norvell and the Seminoles get things underway here in 2023. Kurt, know you're busy, man. Thank you for the time. We'll talk right around the spring game. See how Florida State's doing. Sounds good, Ryan. Thank you. And thank you to Kurt Weiler of the Osceola for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as the Florida State Seminoles begin spring practice earlier this afternoon, practice number one in the books. Of course, you can check out Kurt and all his great work at the Osceola. That is the Rivals website that covers Florida State athletics. Well, that'll just about do it on what has been a very busy Monday, a news-filled Monday edition of XL Primetime. We had Calvin Ridley reinstated. He is officially a Jacksonville Jaguar, the Jaguars officially placed the franchise tag on Evan Ingram, meaning he will be a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2023 more than likely. What does that mean for the future of Jawan Taylor? We'll probably find that out a week from today as NFL Free Agency opens next Monday, March the 13th. Again, thank you to Kurt Weiler of the Osceola. Thank you to Shane Hallam, draftcountdown.com. Always love getting his perspective post-Combine. We talked Anthony Richardson. We talked Jaguars and more with Shane Hallam. You can check out his brand-new seven-round mock draft released earlier today over at DraftCountdown.com. And thank you to my man Dave Campo, our head coach here on Hacker After Dark, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. We talked Combine. We talked free agency. We talked the Jacksonville Jaguars with my friend Dave Campo in our number one. We will be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me? Our late night show. Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday from 10 to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark, and we do hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening, and we will do it all over again on a Tuesday, beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.